All right, welcome to the conversation on the TYT Network. Uh, I'm now going to bring in Dave Weigel. He's a reporter for the Washington Post, and he does the trailer newsletter, covers presidential politics. Um, uh, Dave, uh, welcome back to the Young Turks. It's good to be back. Thank you, man. All right, no problem. Um, so I want to talk to you about, obviously, Biden versus Trump. Uh, and then um, if we have time, I'd like to get to what we might do in November if there's still coronavirus around. So uh, it seems to me that Biden has uh, three problems. Um, a story broke on late on Friday about Tara Reid and her and her mom uh, calling into CNN. I want to get into that in a second. Uh, but problem number one is that he doesn't exist. Um, mm -hmm. It seems to be Trump versus not Trump at this point. Trump is ubiquitous with these press conferences and saying outlandish things. Uh, and Biden seems to have turned into what Trump thinks an F-35 is, uh, invisible. Um, so what are they doing? Are they doing anything that is effective? Is this a terrible strategy or maybe okay strategy? Just let Trump keep punching himself in the face. I think it's working despite itself right now. Uh, so there's a lot of analysis of the Biden campaign that I think will look very smart if he if he loses, if he wins and without changing a word will look like the ultimate pundit daydream if he if he if he loses. And it's that this election is going to be a referendum on whether you want Trump or not. Trump, by forcing himself into the conversation every single day and getting less popular, has made Biden's job easier this month. I mean, and I think it's right that he basically, Biden has been in some ways bailed out in what could have been, I think, a middling or month for him. I mean, he's, he, he locked down the nomination, but at the same time, um, he was slow in getting a fundraising agreement with the DNC. He's slow on his uh, video response team. They, they've got him now in that setup in his, in his house, but they've got, uh, at the same time, he is not anywhere near the digital native that the Trump campaign is, right? He, Trump's, I think, about three to one, four to one in terms of just the people advertising online where everybody is living right now. Um, so despite that, because I, I, I do think Trump has made moves that have made him less popular and, and Biden has only benefited, the, the voter I think you're going to see a lot of people get obsessed with this election, with people in my chair, are the voters who say, I don't like either candidate. Um, they hated both in 2016. They went for Trump by big margin. And in the polling where he's doing well, Biden's just winning those voters because he is a the whole premise of his campaign that was not very exciting to a lot of activist Democrats was, aren't you tired of this? We're going to go back to something that's not this. Yeah. Um, so I hear all that. At the same time, yeah. uh, are you hearing at all from Democrats that it's discouraging that they have a candidate that is the very opposite of dynamic? Uh, I mean, he seems to melt away uh, on camera. Um, and that's like on a good day when he's not stuttering and, and losing his train of thought. Yeah. So does anyone think he's dynamic? I mean, I, I'm not the one because I'm a progressive. So maybe I have a different perspective and I'm not seeing it straight. Uh, what, what do others think? No, I, I can't think of anything else like this in like the, the history of presidential elections with a TV bit component. Right. The last the time since before we were alive. Uh, I can't think of a situation like this, but one of the premises of the Biden campaign is that he is not exciting, he's not a great rhetorician, he is a good guy who will make things calm again, and it's almost a strength, uh, the campaign has, has, has put it forth this way, that he does not, out, uh, even before this uh, 
the situation we're all stuck inside. He was not having gigantic rallies. He was not talking for 45 minutes and pounding his fist. There was a lot of discussion of what they thought Biden was doing well that was, I think, inherently criticism of Sanders, of stuff he was doing that excited a lot of people. Uh, but look, it, it is it might not be wrong in terms of who how the votes are counted. And this is somebody, you've seen this in the House and Senate races where people have noticed Democrats raising really good sums of money running ahead of Republicans in most places. Uh, what they were wanting and what they got is a nominee who is an alternative to Trump, but is not making a lot of news on his own. And it's, it's striking how happy they are with this. I mean, as soon as Biden did well on Super Tuesday, I was talking to swing district Democrats, you know, some were not happy. Some of them were explicitly saying, oh, uh, we, we would have had a real problem if, if, if Bernie was on the ballot, but Biden, somebody people are comfortable with and we're fine. And they're just run, they're doing their own thing. So they're not worried about him failing to rally and excite people. And to be honest, I, I can't sit here and tell you in a world where political rallies might not be possible for another month or longer, uh, if, if that's if that's going to help Biden in the in the end. I, th I think at the moment it is. He's not demanding people come up to a big rally and having to draw a thousand while Trump draws 10,000. It is it has clearly gotten under Trump's skin. This is the reason he was doing so many um, of these briefings and that he might scale it back now. Yeah. Uh, so um, Democrats have picked a candidate so unexciting that they're thrilled that he's not getting much press attention. Okay, wonderful. Uh, so now let's talk about two problems that might be bigger for Biden. Uh, so uh, new tape out of Tara Reid's mom uh, a, back in the early 1990s calling into CNN's Larry King Live and saying, uh, you know, my daughter uh, sexually harassed by a, a, a senator. Basically, I'm paraphrasing here. Uh, they, she doesn't name the senator, uh, but it appears to be enormously corroborating for what Tara Reid has alleged. It, it's possible that it's uh, not the exact sexual harassment that Tara Reid described recently, uh, on, on Katie Halper's program into The Intercept. Uh, and I want to be very clear about that. But still, uh, if if anybody um, had that kind of corroborating evidence and they were accusing Trump or a Republican or a progressive, everyone would immediately believe it. So that's not my question. My question is, um, does the establishment care? Um, does anyone in Washington care? Or they're like, yeah, whatever. He might have done sexual assault. Who cares? He's not Trump. They, they don't believe it at all. And I, I would add to you talk about the establishment. Bernie Sanders is running for president. Uh, this story broke in The Intercept uh, and in Katie Helper's podcast. Bernie was still running for president. Uh, there were explainers. But basically, he was in this for a week as the story was first percolating. Uh, and I, I think an a unanswered question, given how some of his staff have talked about it, is that I don't, it, Sanders did not act as if he thought there was something that was going to bring Biden down. Uh, and we saw in the in the primary the fact that People like working with Joe Biden, even when they disagree with him, was a, was a big benefit. Um, but you don't hear, I don't, I have not heard, now I'm not invited to you know, the the eyes wide shut parties of the establishment where they talk about what they, where they talk about things they will never tell you off the record. Uh, I just find disbelief in this. And I, I'd sum it up this way, uh, because you paraphrase the uh, TV interview, interview, the paraphrase is important, the, the call in was about problems in the senator's office, and it wasn't even clear to the panel what they were talking about. Uh, the 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 story is is 
on the one hand, pretty simple to explain, but on the other, if you go year by year, there's enough that I, I feel I, the Democrats I've seen uh, have treated it with immense skepticism. I'd say similar to what you saw when Keith Ellison was accused of abusing his ex-wife or um, Tony Cardenas was, was sued, a suit that ended up being dropped. They're treating it like one of these things that came up in the heat of a campaign that they don't believe. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm staying pretty far away from it and saying, this is why I do not, I have not seen any sort of scramble in the, in the, the party's establishment. I think you can take uh, Amy Klobuchar or uh, Gretchen Whitmer for, at, at their word, Stacey Abrams, too. The, the, they've been asked about it. They've been asked the context of your women who might be vice president. What do you think of this? And they say, people look into it. It doesn't sound credible to me. And that's the, that's the opinion that I, th I think you're going to see de Democrats continue to take. Um, even, even this audio, it's out of, uh, out of, out of context in context, it's not clear what she's referring to, because the whole rub is uh, the original April 19, 2019 accusation was one of several of Biden being uh, uh, accusing Biden of being a sexist kind of handsy boss. Then there's a new accusation in 2020 that went further. And until I, you, you see Democrats convinced that the second accusation is real, I don't think you're going to see much of a change here. There's an idea that well, Republicans will attack and they'll change. They, they, they've attacked several rounds of this and also the Trump campaign itself. This is one thing I think you've seen it kind of outsourced to the more active social, social media al uh, allies. I don't even I don't even think um, on purpose, just the Don Trump Jr. Uh, sort of uh, MAGA Twitter have jumped on this. The campaign itself has stayed a little bit away. And I, I think that's that might be in some of the Democratic calculation here, too, is, look, this Donald Trump is somebody who will rush in and accuse people of doing what he's what he's accused of. But there's not. A, is there a way for him to crowbar in this story and open open up the gate for the multiple stories we heard at the end of 2016? Because remember, the Trump position on his accusers is they're lying. Everyone who's ever accused me of something is lying. Um, he's been hypocritical before. He could try it again. But I just have I haven't seen Democrats worry about this. And Frank, part of it's look, they've known the guy for 50 years. This isn't. Uh, um, to use the comparison a lot of people make, it's a judicial nominee who some people in D.C. knew about, thought was on the short list. This is somebody who's been in public, run for vice president twice. I should I'd conclude with that, that what I've heard some Democrats say is like, look, the, he's been vetted for VP. The, the Secret Service followed him around for years. This accusation now, just they, 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 they don't really put it together with their version of, of, of reality. Okay, uh, asked and answered. Uh, and yeah. uh, I, I want to ask about the last part, too. So, because um, I'm very curious what the buzz in Washington is and on the trail and all, and all that. So, the buzz from uh, my house, to be clear. I mean, yeah, like, no, no, I hear I've you. I've talked to Washington the same way everybody else is. No, I but mean, you talk to people all the time. It's a lot more tech. More texting and g-chatting and, and email than uh, than in person these days. Yeah. Yeah, of course, but but you have a lot of sources and you talk to people within the party. So, uh, I, on a scale of one to ten, how concerned are they about uh, his the fact that he loses his train of thought all the time, uh, the, the so-called mental decline? Mm -hmm. Ten being very concerned, uh, looking into replacing him with Andrew Cuomo. One <laughs> being, uh, don't believe it. He's the most mentally fit person I've ever seen. Well, it's a good question because what Republicans have pointed out is there was a way Democrats talked about it when they wanted him to not be the nominee, and there's a way they talk about it now that he is the nominee. Uh, and you cannot go back to uh, Julian Castro or Tim Ryan to name two people who ran against Biden and argued at one point, uh, this guy can't be the nominee, he's not all there. They do not say that anymore. Uh, so what you don't hear a ton of worry about it for, I, I'd have to go back and cast to the thing I was talking about at first, that they're like, 
Theory attitude is the president wants to fill every room with noise, uh, it, and people are not paying as much attention to Joe Biden, who they s start out liking anyway. So if that's the dynamic, what's bad for us? I, I, I think there is a lot of there. Uh, there's not a lot of worry what you're talking about. There's also an emphasis that, uh, I mean, the pre uh, the president too. If you watch the the briefing and you cut a couple clips out, I'm making a indirect comparison. The president will also trip over words, but he does it in a different way. The thing I've noticed about Biden is that he gets apologetic about getting a word wrong or losing his place, which makes it worse. I mean, yes. you're, 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 a, you're a TV guy. You, uh, you, just, you run over it. You realize that you used a word wrong. Maybe you quickly correct. But he, he will say, excuse me. They'll say, ah, I'm going on too long. It's, for what they see is a lot of him kind of, like the way they know him from, the set, from his vice presidency, from his work in the Senate, is a guy who kind of can't stop talking but has definitely changed over the years and slowed down over the years. And they kind of write it off as well. You know, when Joe, when Joe needs to put put the fire, uh, the fire on, he can do it. That's, that's the, uh, the analysis I've heard. There's no one. I, and that, that's why I keep joking about the eyes wide shut party. There's no one, no one I've encountered who says uh, this, this person who, who is leading all of our polling right now over Donald Trump must be replaced by somebody who's more exciting um, younger, more than I have not. I've not seen that discussion. I don't think any of the worries about Biden that you hear broadcast a lot uh, on the left and serious ideological differences, worries that he's going to alienate young voters, et cetera, et cetera. I don't think those get a real airing unless polling shows that he's losing to Trump. Uh, even the fact that he is doing slightly worse with young voters than Hillary is in some of these early polls, that's you know paragraph twelve. Paragraph one in the headline is Biden leads Trump by four in Florida. And, and if you yeah. kind of take a breath of the cynicism here, it is OK. On the one hand, he doesn't fire up the young people who we can't get to vote anyway. On the other, he does a little bit less bad with senior citizens who kill us in every election. And that that bet is one that I, I think a lot of Democrats are comfortable taking. And now, if in a month it was Biden negative 10, then some of that I think you would you would start to hear broadcast among Democrats. All right. Sounds good. All right. Dave Weigel from The Washington Post. Thank you for joining us. Uh, next time we'll talk about whether we're going to have an election in November or not. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. That. Well, well, there's stuff to cover if there is one. Yeah. That's right. All right. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much. All right. Welcome to the conversation on the TYT network. Uh, now we got a guy you might recognize from a couple of days ago. Uh, he is a comedian, Vic DiBetetto. Uh, guy uh, out from New York. Uh, I grew up in Jersey. Uh, and uh, Vic, uh, your rant spoke to a lot of people, but definitely to me. Uh, I agree with it. Uh, and uh, I have the same kind of rage. <laughs> and so uh, you sometimes refer to yourself as the working class zero and yep. the donkey of comedy. Uh, so uh, it's very self-effacing, but um, but look, uh, your uh, rant uh, about the stimulus checks went uh, supernova viral, uh, and everybody saw you uh, yelling and screaming about it. So first off, um, I want to ask, when you do the videos, I know you do a lot of different kind of videos, and obviously you do comedy, but do you... Is that was that comedy or was it an actual rant or was it somewhere in between? That wasn't comedy. That was an actual rant because it resonated with me uh, being at what's going on right now in the world 
and obviously it hit a, it hit a, a nerve. It's up to 45 million views between Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. I mean, I'm I'm fed up. That's why I call my since the beginning I started the working class zero because we've been getting it screwed up. Do you know what? And it's happening over and over and over again. And it's it's the definition of insanity. The government keeps doing the same thing over and over again, looking for a different result, but it's the same result. The system is broken. People are fed up. I, all my shows were canceled. All my live performances are canceled. I'm good for a month or two, but if this thing doesn't doesn't get solved, I got to resort to virtual comedy, which I don't want to do that. I need that live feedback. But, yeah. you know... Necessity is the mother of invention. Maybe this is something good. I don't know. Yeah, what's yeah. scary is the uncertainty of this whole pandemic, the future. Yeah. So, and I think the other reason that uh, folks resonated with it was because you actually made a great policy point in the middle. Uh, a lot of the comments were like, hey, you know, for a guy who's screaming his head off, he made an excellent point. Um, so, and, and the point, uh, that, that everybody's talking about is you said, look, we got these $1,200 checks. Uh, people can't live on that. Everybody gets that. Uh, but you went on to say, Hey, why don't you actually take the three months or whatever that, uh, we owe you rent or mortgage and put it at the end of the contract. Exactly. Uh, so, and I gotta be honest with you, Vic, when I saw it, I was like, damn, that's a good point. Why didn't I think of that? Um, so has anybody reached out to you afterwards and said, oh, no, you knucklehead, that, that can't work because of this, or, oh, my God, that's a brilliant idea, and et cetera, et cetera? It was 99% people are for it. And what's scary is why doesn't the government think about this? Why did it take this this working slob to come up with this? I mean, you give, you're giving $350 billion to the banks, then it trickles down, they give it to their friends, Ruth Chris and all these other... The CEOs who make $6 million, I've been saving up for a rainy day. Why couldn't they save up for a rainy day? They had two weeks. The last uh, shutdown was, what, 10 years ago? So they had 10 years to save up. Where's all this money? That's our taxes that are going to these loans. It's disgusting. It, and it happens over and over again. When, when is it going to stop? I got neighbors living paycheck to paycheck. This, this is disgusting, man. And I'm, I don't want to get political. This is just one man's view of how he's feeling and what he's seeing. And obviously, a lot of people, I got people telling me I should run for president. I don't want to run for president. I got no time for that. My wife won't even let me go to a cigar lounge and have a cigar. I'm going to run for president. I got no patience for that. Just do the right thing. Give the money to the small businesses. PPP, you know what that stands for? They've been peeing on us all these years. That's all they do. They piss on the, they piss on the working man. I'm, I'm frustrated. So is most of this. 22 million people are unemployed. My wife goes on unemployment. The system is overwhelmed. You know who's overwhelmed? We're overwhelmed. Enough is enough. Yeah. So, Vic, uh, look, uh, I think everything is political. And so uh, them screwing us all these, uh, not just years, but decades... Well, that was a political decision, right? And so as much as uh, politics annoys people, uh, because that's what they do, they professionally screw us over, um, it, it, it is, there are, those are decisions. So when they make a decision on the legislation, are we going to give the money to the banks or are we going to give it to the average guy? And that's politics. And, um, and so let me ask you something. Uh, I, I, you probably have uh, people that come to your show that are both Republicans and Democrats. 
I get why you'd be reluctant to, to get into it. But uh, look, Republicans are for big business. Everybody knows it. Everybody, right? right? So, but I'm curious, just on a personal level, do you think Democrats fight for you or no? I'll be honest with you. I, I don't trust any of them. I don't know what's going on. I, you know, look, I, I, I try to keep an even keel. Look, here's where I stand. I'm a proud father of a gay son, okay? Anybody ever hurt my son, I'd, I'd go to jail for him. I also own two legal firearms. So what does that tell you? Where do I stand? I should, it's not my own party. You know, mm -hmm. it's just, I don't care who's in the White House. I don't care who's running for president. And this whole bipartisan nonsense, they're like children arguing in a playground. Look how long it took them to get together to, to approve the, this, this payment. It's, it's disgusting. It really, the government is disgusting. George Collin said it the best. It's one big club and we're not in it. Yeah. Um, so I, I hear you on all that. And I think your instincts are unfortunately exactly right. <laughs> and if, if I pick a side, I lose half my audience. My audience is Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberals. I got young kids. I got grandparents. I got black people. I got white people. I got gay people coming up to me telling me, You're, I did a video about accepting your gay child. I got gay kids telling me, you, you saved me from killing myself. I mean, what other, I mean, I, I try to keep an even keel. I'm here to bring laughter to a world that's gone mad. Yeah, it's hilarious that... Uh... You say you try to keep it even keel when you're best known for uh, losing your mind on camera. Um. <laughs> well, that, this is years of bottled up. Look, I'm being calm right now. The reason why I do it in my car, because I spit and I scream. If I did it in my house, my wife will kill me. The cat will have a seizure because I'm too loud. The car has great acoustics. Right now, if my wife wasn't sleeping, I'd be spitting all over this camera right now. <laughs> Good for you. So, Vic, uh, you used to be a bus driver in Staten Island. Bus driver, uh, uh, garbage truck, dump truck, cement truck. I drove yeah. my garbage truck to Danger. My route was in Midtown Manhattan. I drove my garbage truck to Dangerfields Comedy Club. I told the manager, if I pick up your garbage, will you give me stage time? Come on. You think Seinfeld ever had to do that? <laughs> so, ha having grown up in New Jersey, man, I, I relate to you so much. Uh, and I love that, like, only guy growing up in New York or New Jersey says, if you do something to my son, I'm going to go to jail for what I'm going to do to you. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> I love my son. It's nobody's business what his sexual preferences. That's goddamn right. All right. So, uh, Vic, what made you decide to get into comedy when you're, uh, you know, bus driver, et cetera? Well, like every other comic, I was the class clown. You know, I made my classmates laugh when the teacher turned her back. I was sneaky funny. I would imitate teachers and the animal sounds. Fast forward, I grew up in Brooklyn. There was a comedy club called Pips Comedy Club in Sheepshead Bay. I'm 1981, I went on stage. Andrew Dice Clay was the MC. That's how long I'm doing this. I kept at it, kept at it, never gave up, never surrendered. Fast forward, I'm headlining, selling out 1,600 theaters, the Count Basie Theater in Red Bank, the Borgata in Atlantic City, sold out. You realize, if I told you how much money I lost, because the world a couple of weeks ago just stopped. All my shows canceled. When and, and if this is ever over, who the hell is going to go sit in, a, in an audience now with all this the pandemic and the, the coronavirus? I'm scared, man. Yeah. Like I said, my, my, thank God I married a woman who could manage finances. I don't even know how to post data check. 
I make the money. She handles it. <laughs> give me two months. I'm not going to hit the panic button yet. But, man, if the no, government would no. help us out, it wouldn't be that stressful. No, no, Vic, you're not wrong, man. Uh, it, we talk about it on the Young Turks all the time. Uh, two months about right, and then everybody's out of money. Uh, and yep. then if people think it's bad now, wait till they get a load of it two months from now. Uh, and and then people, are, then everybody's going to be like you, Vic, uh, be super mad, and and we're going to have real trouble in this country. You know, uh, I don't want martial law. I don't want that. I don't want looting and rioting. And how about the mental issues? How about people killing themselves now and depression, anxiety? It's, I'm telling you, this this is this is bad. This is uncharted waters. I've never seen this. You've never seen this in your lifetime. This hasn't happened in a hundred years. Yeah. So Something's got to happen. Yeah. One more question for you. You know, uh, you had another viral hit uh, back in uh, 2013 when the Nor'easter came. It's called Bread and Milk, and it's like 17 million people watched that. And you said, and I love this, 30 seconds of stupidity brought uh, me more recognition than 30 years of stand-up. Um, so has YouTube basically changed comedy in that sense, the trajectory of careers based on that? Yes, I'm lucky. See, I'm 59 years old. Here you have this 59-year-old chooch using a tool, and I'm sure you know what chooch means, using <laughs> a tool that only these millennials use. If it wasn't for the social media, I wouldn't have the following I have. You know, now, with, with the, gov the message to the government, a lot of people are seeing it. They have no clue. They don't know my story. They don't know... I've been in the trenches and making, you know, doing stand-up 35 years. Oh, it's just this angry Italian guy spitting on his bed. That's what they get out of it, somebody's moron. Oh, he's spitting on his dashboard. So is that what you got out of it? Didn't you understand the points I made in this? It's my dashboard. What are you worried about? I'll clean it up. There's no coronavirus. <laughs> but without the social media, it's been a godsend. But then again, like everything good that man creates... They destroy. Now the social media, no matter what you type in, it turns into an argument. Humans, where the virus? Humans, where the virus? Oh, yeah, yeah. We talk about that, too. All right, Vic, we got to have you on more shows, brother. Um, I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah. So, Vic, uh, where can people check you out regularly these days? VicDiBattetto.net. That's my website. But in a couple of weeks, me and my manager are going to make an announcement. I'm going to do viral shows uh on a viral, uh, virtual show. I hope they're viral. Virtual shows on the, the Zoom app. I mean, that's 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 all we could do now, until this stuff clears up, till people feel comfortable sitting in a packed audience. Yeah. All right. Sounds good, Vic. Thanks for joining us, brother. We appreciate thank, it. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Keep up the passion, man. We love it. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate it.